everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Dragon Digest for 2021. I'm Brayden, and today with me I have Casey Houlihan. Hey guys. Owen Resch. What's up? And Mrs. Stringer. Hi everyone. <laughs> um, Mrs. Stringer, do you want to um, let everybody know what you teach at Lake Orion? Well, this year I'm teaching mostly AP 12, so I have mostly seniors. However, um, this term, the first three terms, I have a skinny ELA 11. Last term, I teach mostly mythology. Nice. What, like, you say you teach mythology, like, um, what kind of things do you talk about in that class? Oh, we talk about a little bit of everything. I like to start with those ancient Egyptians, but actually that's not true. I start with dragons first because, you know, the dragon is the mascot of Lake Orion, the whole town and everything. And dragons appear in every culture in some way. So I start with dragons and, and then I go through the Egyptians, the Greco-Roman world, and we do the Celts, we do the Vikings, we do... Uh, Japanese, anime, a little bit of everything. Native Americans, depends on the length of the term. You know, if it's a skinny class, we can cover more territory. Um, but I, I try to give the students enough about world mythology that if they're interested, they'll continue and maybe study it in college. And I try to give the students enough for them to realize that Ancient mythologies connect with what we do and how we live now. It's all a continuum. Interesting. Pretty cool. Yeah. I think I took your class uh, last year, Ms. Ray? Yes, I think you did. I think you did. <laughs> I mean, I passed you on the hallway going to Mr. Haas, the LA 11 last year. You totally need to take the class. It's fabulous. Yeah. Some students keep trying to get into that class and don't actually get a spot until they're seniors. Yeah. So, Owen, you know, even if you don't end up in my mythology class, you could stop by and say hi, especially now that we're going to have in-person school again. If I make it down to that hallway, I will definitely because I yeah. don't I don't know if I am going to make it down there because I'm done with language arts. For this, I have Mr. Ha now for language arts 12 again. So I yeah. had him for two, but well, I, don't, I don't know if I go down to your classroom anymore. Make it a detour. You just kind of come down here. I would even allow you to walk my invisible cat. I have oh, an invisible okay. cat and I have a visible cat. You could walk either one of them or both of them. You know, since I teach mythology, I have to have, um, you know, weird stories and odd things that go on. I have a room full of monsters. You should see that. It's really cool. Take a detour. Come on down here, you know. I'm in room 608. Isn't there like a project for your mythology class or whatever where people have to make sculptures? Yes, they create monsters because, you know, if you're going to teach the hero cycle, the monomyth where there's a hero who has to go off on a quest and do something. Well, then, you know, his quest isn't going to have much meaning unless there are monsters for him to slay and all of that. So we have all the monsters in my room that students have made monsters, creatures, all that sort of stuff. Don't be scared. Owen. it's not, they're not that frightening. Although Medusa, she'll give you a run for your money. 
Oh boy, Medusa. <laughs> I have a Medusa in every corner of the room watching everybody. <laughs> that makes me feel much more settled. <laughs> I know. Don't you want to come down here? Absolutely. I'll expect to see you next week. <gasps> uh oh. The light lights, went off. Lights went there dim. Must, there we go. I'll there must be a monster or something dimming your lights. <laughs> Mom probably oh, turned on a hair dryer or something. Yeah. Hair dryer or washing machine started going. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I had a friend who took your mythology class and she was telling me about her project. I remember she made like some kind of like, I think it was a dragon or something like similar to that. And sure. she she was like talking about it and she was like, oh my God, Miss, she's like, Miss Stringer's class is so much fun. She has the cats and we would just walk them around all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. you can walk the cats. And you know what? It's so funny. The administrators at our school are so, I don't know, they just kind of roll with it. You know, I mean, how many, how many school districts would allow you to have a high school AP teacher who has an invisible cat that kids walk around in the hallways, but they allow it and they're, they're totally cool with it. I think it would be very cool one day if Mr. Holly would come down and walk the visible cat or the invisible cat, you know, I think that would be so cool. Yeah. Kids would love yeah. it too, because once they know me, then they know the joke and what it is. But it's funny because there are a lot of students in the school who don't know me because they're underclassmen. I work mostly with juniors and se mostly seniors. And the younger kids don't know me, but they hear all sorts of stories. And then, you know, they'll talk to the senior. Are those stories really true? Does she actually have an invisible cat? Yes, she does. She really does. I was supposed to have mythology this year, and that is like the reason I took it mainly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that you could be in that you could walk the cat, and you know, and even if you don't have that class, I would let you walk the cat. They're in there. I pulled them out of the closet. I put them in the closet for for the summer because you know I thought they might escape or something. Um, but I pulled them out of the closet so that we can start walking them once we have in person school again. Yeah, Brayden, you should walk those cats. They would really love it. They have had no exercise in a really long time. Oh, no. Are they fat now? <laughs> well, it's hard to tell with the invisible cat because all you can see is the leash, you know. Uh, but the visible cat, he looks kind of the same as he always does. But I think he's feeling a little snarky right now. Oh. I think he would feel a lot better if we gave him some exercise and some attention, you know. <laughs> for sure <laughs> you know when mr smith sees this he's gonna crack up because he knows i'm out there he just sees me and rolls his eyes sometimes <laughs> smith is too focused yeah yeah okay yeah. so hey you have any other questions you want to ask actually no. i do um you have a knitting club right now right I do. We met last night. Right now, we're meeting via Teams. I have created a knitting club in Teams. And, you know, we're trying to put the word out there to other students. If they want to join it, they can just send me an email and I'll add them to the team. But yeah, we, we get together on Thursday nights from seven to nine o'clock. And right now it's in Teams. When we can, we'll get back to a bean to go in LO and meet there. Um, but yeah, we get together and we knit and we chat 
it's just a kind of fun outside of school way to connect with people. You know, how many people are doing that right now? Like, how many people know about it? You think? Um, right now, I have thirteen people who are formally listed in the club because they've sent me an email that they want to join. And, you know, and it's one of those very informal things. People don't have to come every week. They don't have to make a commitment. There's no charge for it. They don't have to make a commitment to be there every week and they don't have to be there for the full two hours. They just drop in whenever they want to. And they don't have to be knitters. It's kind of difficult when you're meeting online to teach somebody how to knit, you know, they're looking at you doing something on a screen and that's kind of difficult. But there are lots of really good tutorials on YouTube that students can watch. Um, and even if they don't knit, if they do something else, if they crochet or if they do some sort of stitchery or some other kind of creative project, or if they're scrapbookers, they can join us. You know, it's, we call it knitting club, but in a way it's kind of a creating club and just a place for people to gather. We haven't had many opportunities to be social this year. And, and you know, that's, that's hard. It's hard for students, it's hard for adults. So that's kind of what Knitting Club is for. And we have a good time. They thought it was pretty funny last night because I showed off my new gift from my cousins. My cousins know that I read in semi-darkness. They're worried I'll go blind. Um, they, they know that I knit in semi-darkness. So they got me this really cool, you guys probably all knew about this. It's a little collar. It's like a reading lamp. It's a collar that goes around your neck and it has independent lights on either side. You could turn just one on or the other one on. And there are three different brightnesses with that thing. It's amazing. I can knit in the middle of the night. I can read all night without disturbing anybody because it just goes around your neck and it's a miracle. Well, I had it on last night and the kids said, all we could see on your screen are these headlights. It looks like you're a car. It was so much fun. So yeah, you should come to knitting club just to see me wear that crazy thing because it's pretty hilarious, but boy, does it work well. Does it, do you ever forget to sleep because you're doing something with it? And then you're like, oh yeah, I do. I have had that tendency my whole life. Uh, from the time I was a little kid, I was a night owl. And it's really hard for me because I get involved in projects all the time. I paint too. And I also read a lot. And I have a lot of student papers, including yours, to read. Um, and so sometimes I'll tell myself, okay, I'm only going to work for an hour. And then I'm going to bed. Well, then I happen to look up and see, oh my gosh, it's two o'clock in the morning and I have to get up at 530 it happened last night. I wasn't going to let that happen. Knitting club ends at nine o'clock and I thought I would just watch a little bit of news. And then I felt like knitting some more. <sighs> I think it was 1.30 or something like that. And I thought, oh, you're going to feel terrible in the morning. But, oh, well, I did it again. <laughs> That's my mentality every day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard for me to go to sleep because I might miss something. You know, I might miss something. Yeah, and a big thing is like the whole the whole schedule of school has been shifted for us at least. So it's yes. like my parents are always like, "Why why are you up at twelve o'clock? You should be going to sleep for school." It's like, well, I don't really need to get up that early, so exactly. I'm not tired now. So exactly, just keep doing. Well, stuff. you know, when we start in person school again next week, you will be able to 
get here at nine o'clock, nine, 10 or whatever. So you still can sleep in. It's not the same as starting school at seven fifteen. Yeah, I mean, the doors don't open until 9.20, so even then, like, you can get there early, but you're just sitting in your car. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yucky. Or they just yeah, go inside so, at that point, get warm. Yeah, so how have all of you done with the online schooling? Terribly. I, TPW is <laughs> not the best. The yeah. television <laughs> is, uh, all three of us are actually producers of the show. We're the three producers for this term and we have to manually edit the show and get everybody's stories, download them and put all the graphics in. And it's like 10 times harder than just doing one live show because there's no post-processing oh, yeah. on a live show, but stay up till 12 I, or two in the morning and then yes. wake up only for Mr. Smith to tell you, Hey, so you need to fix this, this, or this. It's a great, great fun, you know? The, the biggest thing for me is computer problems, because it's always at the most unfortunate times when something goes wrong. I have the worst luck. So it'll be like either really late or like right before a deadline. And I'm like, get it. I'm like done with something and I'm trying to turn it into my computer. will just like say no, turn everything off or like I'll delete something. And I'll just be stuck there. Like, really, I have to do this again. Like after I spent time on it. Um, All about the show deleting itself. <laughs> Yeah. Has that happened before? Yeah, yeah that was the, the first time I edited 4 a.m. Everything deleted, so I had to restart it. Oh my gosh. I have to say, the finished product, though, when we get to watch that fourth hour and we see your completed show, it is so professional. It is so beautifully done. Thank you. Every single you. time, it is just a high quality show. And, you know, it's very informative. You have such a nice variety of topics and students who are represented and so on. It, it's a wonderful show. So it's worth all that effort that you're putting in. Thank you, Ms. Stringer. But yeah, I know awesome. that it is annoying when the computer says no. Computer says no. I know. <laughs> it, it was really funny because you played it for a class uh, last week. And I had just spent probably a good eight hours the night before and like an hour that morning working on it and then you played it for the class and i was just sitting there like oh there it is again it's haunting yeah. me there <laughs> it is again but you know for people who only see the finished product they have no idea how much effort goes into that um it's it's a it's got to be a labor of love guys must love it now are you thinking about careers in television production or anything like that you three uh i don't think i'm i would be i'm more of an engineering kind of guy okay yeah i know for me i want to become a writer and you know write things for you know, tvs and movies which is partially why i took your class or the mythology class just because the, those go hand in hand writing it's like those are the oh, early yeah. forms of writing it and it was really fun to take that class you know learn a lot about yeah. not just writing but then all the different forms of it is really cool sure it's storytelling you know oh, yeah. really when you talk about humanity humanity is all about storytelling it's all oh, yeah. about storytelling yeah From like day one yeah for sure history for sure. is also just storytelling too you know? yeah Personally, I, I'm not sure still. I'm I I'm leaning towards going into something related to broadcasting. Um, 
because I, I do enjoy it. I like it a lot. But then another part of me is like, I always like to think about things like a lot. So then I'll think about, oh, what's the possibility of me going into art? And then I'll think about that. I'm like, man, I kind of want to do that. And, but then there'll be like things that I don't want to do that and things that I don't want to go into broadcasting. And then they'll be like, oh man, you know, it's really cool. I think like social sciences are really cool. What if I went to something like that? And then I'll think about that. And then I'll be like, mm, I don't know. So it's a big, like, for me, um, it's, just like I'm going under an umbrella of an idea of what I want to do, but not necessarily like a specific thing. Cause well, uh, that's I'm a not good sure idea. Still. Keep an open mind. You know, I keep reading articles about uh, career paths for young people, your age, that the world is changing so fast that all of you are going to have career options and, the need for flexibility because the world is changing so fast, your careers will probably change. You know, you may end up having two or three major careers in, a, in your working lifetime, which is amazing. And I think it's very cool because it teaches you to be flexible and to adapt to constant changing circumstances. Um, I've had to do that too in my career. I've been in Lake Orion for, I don't know, it's 46 or 47 years or something like that. I kind of lose track, but I have worked in my career with other teachers. You know, I was originally an elementary school teacher. I have worked um, over the years with teachers who taught the same grade in the same classroom, in the same building for 30 years. I once knew a teacher who taught second grade for 30 years in the same room. Mm -hmm. And that was so alien to me because I was transferred all over the district. You know, there would be millage failures and there would be um, maybe uh, a need for a different number of students. And then I would be transferred to a different school or a different grade level or whatever. So I never got really comfortable with any grade level at all. Probably before the high school, probably the longest stint of my career was 13 years in kindergarten, young, young fives kindergarten at Pine Tree. And I have to say that that 13 years I spent in kindergarten really prepared me better than college did for teaching high school. <laughs> and I know that seems very weird. <laughs> But it totally prepared me for teaching high school. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. For teaching AP literature and yeah. mythology. You know, um, I think there was a while there that the mythology elective was not running because um, it, it seemed like it was something for the English department, but nobody in the English department really was interested in teaching it because it seemed like it was a project-based class. And, you know, everybody here was trained to read essays and um, teach students to read books and everything. And then finally, somebody said, you know, we haven't run mythology for a while. I, said, I would love to teach that class. I taught kindergarten. Man, it's all about storytelling and all that sort of thing. So then I started teaching it and then it became popular. And then for a while, it was really hard to get in there. And now there's enough mythology that it doesn't even all fit in my schedule. So now some other teachers are teaching it too. But it yeah, definitely, it? 
needs to be a class where there are projects. You know. Mm -hmm. Is it Mr. Kind teaching that too now? Isn't he one of the teachers doing that? Yeah. He is. I think he would be a fantastic mythology teacher. (laughs) With his background in, you know, in acting and all of that sort of thing. And producing musicals. All of that. Maybe he can play out some of the mythologies too. He could be some of the monsters. One man play. Yeah, he could be a one man play. (laughs) Throw a costume on him. Yeah, he could play all the parts. You know, it could be a play. He could be every character. You know. I'd love to see that. I would pay to see that. It would be cool. I would sit up in the balcony. You know, when I go to the productions, I always get a seat way up in the balcony in one little spot. And I sit up there like a cat and I look down on everybody. I really love that. (laughs) Yeah, I saw the Adams family like that. It was very cool. Yeah, that was a good show. Yes, it was. The only I think the only uh, high school production I've watched was The Crucible. Which was funny because in uh, Honors uh, ELA 10, we also read it. So <laughs> I, I read that uh, play and I also went and I saw that one. But I think that's the only one I've seen. That was an yeah. interesting play. Great, I, I, remember, interesting I was in play. that play too. Great playwright. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like it was. It was, it was a different, unique story for sure. Oh, about the witches, Salem. Mm-hmm. I thought. That, oh, I'm sorry. Isn't that uh, kind of about McCarthyism too? Yeah, yes. I was gonna oh, say McCarthyism. Yeah, the two I was gonna stories kind of. In um, U.S. history, you also talk about that at the same exact time that you're reading it, and that we that the high school had the play because um, in, in U.S. history they talked about McCarthyism and um, the Cold War and all of that stuff and like learning all of that at the same time was super interesting. I especially feel like now it's really interesting with the t- time period that we're in and like just the chaos <laughs> oh, that has been yeah. 2020 and 2021 so far. Like I feel like yes. all of it just kind of like is like this like one like big like thing about paranoia and just like people going a little bit crazy i just thought i thought that was really interesting and i think that's really interesting now too well you know um in ap12 we write that poet paper and of course you just finished writing your poet paper but um one of the students wrote a paper about the beat poet allen ginsburg now allen ginsburg wrote a lot of poetry that so much angered members of the establishment and the american government um, in fact, he called the American government Moloch, which was a kind of monster, you know, a monster character. And he was, uh, Allen Ginsberg was on the FBI's watch list because of all of the poetry. He held nothing back. This guy, whatever he thought, it just came out. And he wrote these long poems that were almost like rants. And so the FBI was watching him. They did not know if he was perhaps trying to create some sort of insurrection or (laughs) something like that. Uh, And he just really wanted to share his fears about government takeover and all sorts of stuff like that and McCarthyism. 
you know, the idea that uh, people who are perhaps um, in the movie industry, Hollywood figures and so on, who say anything negative about the government may be uh, dangerous people. You know, though Mark McCarthy was having hearings, was calling people in to find out what they were all about uh, because they maybe said some things that were unflattering about the government and so on. So Allen Ginsberg was in there. Um, who else? There were act actors, actresses, um, other people. Well, artists, artists and writers, uh, people like that who voiced their viewpoints and that sort of thing. Yeah, that was a really interesting era of time. You know, anybody who was different or who um, believed different, different things other than what was accepted in society in that day. You know, the Crucible, um, Allen Ginsberg, McCarthyism. And we're seeing the rise of some of that now. Yeah. Yeah. And, all, yeah, and all of that. <laughs> Talking about his poetry, I, the first thing I thought was like, man, that sounds like logging on a Twitter any day of the week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Do you know, if exactly. Twitter had been around, Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and the others, if those had been around when some of these now deceased poets were alive, oh, they would have had so many followers. They would have been posting stuff all the time. I would have followed a lot of that stuff too, just to see what's going on, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, even if I disagree with people, sometimes I'll read their things and I'll just be like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, make a good point. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. I, or sometimes I just find it funny. Like, I don't, I don't know. I do enjoy uh, reading people who, who write stuff just very passionately. <laughs> right, because they're not always going to agree with you, but it's interesting to see what their point of view is, to see where they're coming from, whether you agree or not. Mm -hmm. It's just nice to know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's funny because some people just seem absolutely crazy and you're like, hmm, all right. Allen Ginsberg struck people that way because his hair was all wild and, and he would often be wearing, uh, you know, these sandals and he would, he would do these speak alouds or uh, read alouds or recitations of his poetry in coffee shops and, you know, any place that would let him talk. And these crowds would gather, oh, these days he would have so many followers he could be doing performance poetry. Oh, it would be so cool. <laughs> For sure. I feel I feel like that's definitely something that would be interesting. And like just from your initial like description of like what he would what, what he was like writing, that's just like the impression I got. Yeah, well, you know, these days there are lots of opportunities for poets to perform their work. You know, poetry slams. Have any of you ever seen a poetry slam where people get up and write, recite their work? Um, you know, it's one thing to read poetry on a page, but what's really cool is if you see the poet perform it, you know, some of them might dance while speaking or, you know, they gesticulate wildly. Um, and it really adds an element of performance to the reading of their text. It's really very cool. And 
there are so many social avenues now for all of that these days. I think it's marvelous. It's a marvelous time in, um, in which to be an artist, a creative person, because there are so many avenues for putting your work out there. I don't know if any of you follow Rupi Carr. Uh, she writes mostly feminist poetry and so on, but um, she has an active Instagram account. She has thousands and thousands of followers. And as she's writing a new collection, she'll she'll write a poem and just put post it on Instagram for people to respond to it. And uh, she just published her third collection of poems. Um, and she has been, I think I read on Instagram that all three of her collections were on the New York Times bestseller list simultaneously. That's crazy. Oh. That, that, is, that is crazy. And there are people who say that poetry's dead, that nobody reads poetry anymore. Uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not true. A lot of people read poetry these days. I think it's more accessible now to the reading populace than it was, say, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. There's so many different ways to read it and so many poets who are writing poetry that's not intimidating. You know, the first time you encounter a John Keats poem or a Percy Shelley poem, ooh, that can be kind of daunting. You can look at it and think, what does he even mean? You know, because the romantic poetry is sometimes hard to decipher, but contemporary poetry is much easier to understand. Generally, um, there are some contemporary poets who still like to keep it really cryptic. Um, but gosh, the time to be an artist is now. Yeah, and I remember a big thing on why like people probably say like, oh, poetry is like not really a thing anymore. It's just because like the first time you really go into poetry in like ELA 10, it's like it's a bunch of hard cryptic and stuff like that. And everyone that just runs as a big stereotype of well, why do I want to read poetry if it's just deciphering a bunch of stuff that I don't understand? But there's like right. different types out there. Right. And, you know, it, in a way, it's like studying another language. The daunting thing about poetry is that so much of it is not literal. It's figurative. It's all of that imagery and the metaphors and all of that. And once you catch on to that, and see the poet as an artist who's telling a story but is doing it in a really creative way, it opens up a whole new world for you. Usually my seniors come into AP 12 and they hear it's a good class and they should take it because it'll help them learn to be better writers and all of that. But a lot of them, if they're honest, they admit to me initially that they're not real sure about that poetry, especially since we start right out of the shoot by reading Homer's Iliad ah i know homer's iliad which is difficult wow. but you know once we start discussing it ah is that what all of that means oh my gosh and then we read other poems and we see that there are references to homer everywhere yeah these aren't just words on paper they actually they actually mean something that's crazy it all makes <laughs> sense and just about everything you read has references to the greeks or the roman gods or um, Homer, or, you know, Hercules, and all of that stuff. And you can understand what you're reading better if you know the original text. 
and yeah, they're hard, but I help the students get through them. And then once, you know, once we do the Iliad, then everything else is like a lot easier. And then it becomes by now, end of term two, we're on that downhill glide. Third term, we're just going to read a bunch of cool stuff. We already have our paper done and it'll just be fun. It'll be like a giant book club we're in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. Do you guys it do a lot of fun. reading in that class then? Oh, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading. Now, what grade? Are you a senior now? Yes. Yeah. Oh, shucks. You missed AP 12. <laughs> you could have been one of my crew. I call them my AP tribe. They're A peeps. And it's a big, happy group. I have 73 of them. Wow. Awesome Not in the group. room all at the same time. You know, it is three class sections. But yeah, um, it's a lot of peeps. And, you know, it is a lot of reading. It is a course that demands focus. Um, I try not to do busy work assignments with the students, but you know, it is a lot of writing when we do that paper, Braden, you remember writing every day, writing every day to get that paper done. Yep. <laughs> I remember a lot of reading before Christmas break, like two weeks before Christmas break, I was like looking at everything I still had to do. And I had like a meltdown. Of, I was like, there's so much, there's so much. <laughs> and then, I know I'll never get done. And then I um, organized what I needed to do. And like, I like kind of like scheduled it until like days. And then once I got down to doing it, it was actually pretty easy. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that hard to get it done. And like when people talk about it, like when I was a junior and everyone was like, there's a 15 page essay that you have to write about a poet. I was like, that's crazy. But it's really just like, like four essays in one. It's not really, it's and like, it still sounds hard, but it's really not. Cause I feel like while it's like a, like a big concentration of work, I feel like it's almost as much as you would do in a normal language arts class but it's just like, right. like back to back almost. It's all focused on one topic and you're doing several drafts, but each draft after it's graded, then it goes into the building of the big paper. Yeah. And it, it gets easier with every single one too. By the time I wrote my, my third um, poem, uh, my third poem explication for the essay, it was just like, oh yeah, oh, I see what this means now. I get this. Exactly. And I'll tell you, the, the impromptus that we write where students analyze a poem, in September when we do our first impromptu, a lot of students have a really hard time looking at that poem that they're given and figuring out what it means and then writing an essay about it. Now, when we did the post-test, um, after all of that poetry reading that people did for their papers and writing the paper and everything, Oh my gosh, the, the essays are so awesome. Most of them, 93%, 100%, you know, wonderful essays to read and wonderful grades. So yeah, it's a process. It's a learning process. I always like to see lots of kids take AP 12. Talk yeah. the class up to your the younger peeps. <laughs> Talk it up. Sometimes the seniors like to say to the underclassmen, you know, they'll say, Stringer makes you write 50 pages, 50 page paper. Oh my gosh. 
it nearly kills. So of course the young ones come in and they really want to take the class because they hear it's fun, but yet they're scared about that big paper and their eyes are this big and they come to me and they say, do we really have to write 50 pages? No. Longest paper a student ever wrote was 38 pages. Oof. I, I, ask, I ask for 15 pages, 15, you know, and then she wrote 38 at the end. I felt sorry for her. There was no way she could even proofread her whole paper. So <laughs> I helped her proofread it. I said, okay, you proofread the first section and then I'll, I'll proofread all the rest because she just, oh gosh, it was just way too much. It was a wonderful <laughs> paper though. It was absolutely wonderful. She did all this work. And I told her, I said, hang on to that paper, keep it forever, because right now you don't think you're going to be an English major in college, but in case you do major in English, you got your master's project right here. It's right here, Andrew Marvel, the British poet. You can write about him. You've already written it. You're good. Yeah, you've already <laughs> written it. And all of that, you know, you might have to tweak it a little bit because depending on what the assignment is when you do your master's thesis, um, the professor might want something slightly different, but she'd already done 95% of the work. I think that's a crack up. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's like more than double of the paper, uh, pages too. I know. She uh, got so into Andrew Marvel that she wanted to do additional poems. And I said, no. In those days, we did five poems because we were having in-person school every day. So they analyzed five poems. And she came to me and she said, well, okay, I'll do these five poems, but there are all these biblical stories attached to these poems. Could I research the biblical stories too? And I said, well, absolutely. If you think it fits, if, if it'll fit in with your analysis. So it became a group project, she went to her minister at her church for help with deciphering the Bible phrases and verses and stories and all of that. So he got involved in it too. And then it just became this really huge project, but she was very proud of it when she finished. That's crazy. I spent three hours reading it. Three Whoa. hours, yeah. So what'd she get on it? <laughs> She got an A, and not because it was a fat chunk of pages, but because it was fabulous. The analysis was fabulous, and her knowledge of that poet and his life was wonderful. Yeah. It's one of those things where you go to a party, and it's like, hey, guys, I have some cool trivia. <laughs> yeah, I could tell you this about this author. <laughs> now, I do that sometimes. I go to parties. Well, I get invited to parties a lot. But, you know, when I'm in with a mixed crowd, I usually want to ask what they're reading. You know, hey, what, what book are you reading or whatever? And then, you know, they'll tell me or whatever. And then they'll say, well, what are you reading? Okay, I'm reading Homer's Odyssey again or I'm reading whatever. And they all drift away. People tend to run away from me. I'll say, wait, come back here. I have some things I want to tell you about Homer. I've got stuff I want to say about the Greeks or whatever. So see, that's why I don't retire. That's why I'm still teaching AP 12, because I have a captive audience with, with whom to talk books. I can talk books to all my peeps. 
<laughs> they can't run away from you for, at the party. They're stuck. No, they don't run away. You know, maybe they're <laughs> running away to the safe place inside their mind. But students are usually very polite. You know, when I go off on a rant about Dante, right now we're reading Dante's Inferno. And, you know, I'm talking about Dante and Florence and the Middle Ages and sin and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, everybody just kind of sits there and they're all right. Um, but I wonder if they're sleeping inside their mind. You know how you could do that? You could sleep with your eyes open and the teacher doesn't know. Daydreaming? Yeah, like that. And that's okay. <laughs> Students time. can do that. I did it when I was in school. <laughs> One of the teachers I used to work with, uh, someone with whom I taught kindergarten 20 years ago, she would say, you need to watch Vicki. Because when she looks like she's most paying attention to you and she's totally focused, she is somewhere else entirely. I have that skill, but don't tell anybody. Although I guess we are telling people. Because we're gonna <laughs> yeah. See yeah, you just told how everybody. Many people, just told, told. How, how many people actually see this? Um, I'm not actually sure how many people listen, but people listen. Three, <laughs> oh. Three people. I have given Me, away Mr. Smith and Mr. Rock. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I have given away a major secret. Yeah. Maybe you'll cut that part. Yeah. Maybe Weep I'll it share out. it in our class uh, chat. <laughs> you can share it in class. I don't think it's anything that would surprise the seniors, right? You guys have been with me now for two terms. You kind of know what I'm like and all that. I don't think it'll really surprise people that I'm like that. No. Is there a question <laughs> that you've always wanted to ask me when you see me in the hallway or that you've wanted to ask me a class but thought, well, maybe I shouldn't ask her that? Actually, this yeah. Is your, this is your big opportunity. Ask away. Where does your love of cats come from? <sighs> I probably was born with it. Um, there is a part of me. Now, you know, I'm a mythology teacher, and um, I have some of these beliefs that are a little bit out there. If you're talking America and everything, I believe in reincarnation, and I believe we've been places before. Um, I have always been possessed of this notion that I was a cat in another life. Because honestly, when people make odd noises, I, I have to hold myself back. I want to bat at things. I want to knock stuff off tables. Um, I want to meow at people. And I, I do meow at people in class on occasion. You know, in, when we have in-person school, if, if I'm talking about, you know, rambling on about some author and kids aren't listening to me, I might just meow. Now, we probably pretty much always had cats at my house, starting with, I was maybe six or seven years old when I had this memory. Uh, my grandmother had a cat. We called it her mama cat. It was a mama cat. And my grandmother and grandfather were, their health was declining and they really couldn't care for this cat anymore. So we were over at their house one Saturday and my grandma said, would you guys think about taking this cat? Because we really can't, can't take care of it anymore. It's just becoming too difficult. Grandpa was ill. 
and all of that. And oh, I was on board with that. I said, oh, I'll feed it. I'll play with it. I'll take care of it. I'll do everything. I will do everything. And my father did not want a cat. He did not want a cat. He said, I don't want a cat in the house. So we kept working on him and working on him. And then my mom said, well, she could live in the garage. You know, not me, but the cat could live in the garage. <laughs> and so then my father said, well, all right. And it would be helping his mother out and his father and all that. So this cat came to live at our house. Well, the plot thickens because my father worked long hours. He often worked double shifts at the paper company where he worked. So when my father was not home, we allowed Mama Cat to come into the kitchen. She had to stay in a little area where the rug was in the kitchen by the register. But you know how that story goes. She's on the rug, and then a few days later, oh, she's elsewhere. And then pretty soon she's in the dining room. And then pretty soon she's in my bedroom with me. <laughs> well, and then the plot thickens further. Because we were pretty smart to watch when my father was coming down the street in the car. And then we would put Mama Cat out in the garage. Well, we had her for a few weeks. And we noticed that she was gaining a lot of weight. She seemed to be thriving on the cat food we were giving her. Well, a few weeks later, she had a litter of seven. Ooh. So we went from one cat to eight cats. It was the high point of my life. We had eight <laughs> cats. Oh my gosh. It was so amazing. That's it was the lot. best time ever. Yeah. Oh my God. must've was... been very happy about that. But you know, with all those cats around with those kittens and they're kind of helpless and everything, my father altered his attitude and he got so he would let them climb his pant leg and he would <laughs> let them nap on his lap. He became a cat lover too. Mm -hmm. So that was such a happy time. So I have, you know, throughout my life always had cats, but after those eight cats we had, then it was one cat. And I had one cat for a really long time, my cat Mongoose. And, you know, totally untrainable. He was terribly behaved, but I thought it was totally charming. Yeah, I don't have a cat now because I travel a lot. And cats don't travel as easy, easily as dogs do. Um, but when I retire, I'm going to get a mated pair. You know, if you can, you can go to the shelter and if there's um, a pair of kittens who are fully bonded, you can adopt a pair of kittens. And at that point, I won't be having a full-time job and I can devote my attention to them. I plan to have a pair of uh, bonded kittens pretty cool that's sweet yeah yeah <laughs> i'm looking forward to it nice all yeah. right so we should be wrapping up now um thank you everybody um who's listening for listening <laughs> have a great day have an a one day everybody ta-ta for now <laughs> <laughs>